Chapter Thirteen of Mount Royal, Volume Three by Mary Elizabeth Braden. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Thirteen. We have done with tears and treasons. I wonder if there's any ancient crime in the Tregonell family that makes the twenty-fifth of October a fatal date. Mopsy speculated with a lachrymose air on the afternoon which followed the Baron's hasty departure this very day last year mr hamley shot himself and spoiled all our pleasure and to-day the baron de cazalet rushes away as if the house was infected mrs tregonell keeps her own room with a nervous headache and mr tregonell is going to carry off jack to be broiled alive in some sandy waste among prowling tigers or to catch his death of cold upon more of those horrid mountains one might just as well have no brother if he ever sent us anything from abroad we shouldn't feel his loss so keenly said dopsy in a plaintive voice but he doesn't if he were to traverse the whole of africa we shouldn't be the richer by a single ostrich feather and those undyed natural ostriches are such good style south america teems with golden jewels peru is a proverb but what are we the better off it is rather bad form for the master of a house to start on his travels before his guests have cleared out remarked mopsy and an uncommonly broad hint for the guests to hasten the clearing-out process retorted dopsy i thought we were good here for another month till christmas perhaps christmas at an old cornish manor-house would have been too lovely like one of the shilling annuals a great deal nicer said mopsy for you never met with a country house in a christmas book that was not peopled with ghosts and all kind of ghastliness luncheon was lively enough albeit de cazalet was gone and mrs tregonell was absent and mr tregonell painfully silent the chorus of the passionless the people for whom life means only dressing and sleeping and four meals a day found plenty to talk about jack vandeleur was in high spirits he rejoiced heartily at the turn which affairs had taken that morning having from the first moment looked upon the projected meeting on trebar with sands as likely to be fatal to his friend and full of peril for all concerned in the business he was too thorough a freelance prided himself too much on his personal courage and his recklessness of consequences to offer strenuous opposition to any scheme of the kind but he had not faced the situation without being fully aware of its danger and he was very glad the thing had blown over without bloodshed or law-breaking he was also glad on mrs tregonell's account very glad to know that this one woman in whose purity and honesty of purpose he had believed had not proved herself a simulacrum a mere phantasmagoric image of goodness and virtue still more did he exult at the idea of revisiting the happy hunting-grounds of his youth that ancient romantic world in which the youngest and most blameless years of his life had been spent pleasant to go back under such easy circumstances with leonard's purse to draw upon to be the rich man's guide philosopher and friend in a country which he knew thoroughly pray what is the cause of this abrupt departure of de cazalet and this sudden freak of our hosts inquired mrs torrington of her next neighbour mr fitzjesse who was calmly discussing a cutlet a la maintenon unmoved by the shrill chatter of the adjacent dopsy i hope it is nothing wrong with the drains no i am told the drainage is simply perfect people always declare as much till typhoid fever breaks out and then it is discovered that there is an abandoned cesspool in direct communication with one of the spare bedrooms or a forgotten drain-pipe under the drawing-room floor i never believe people when they tell me their houses are wholesome if i smell an unpleasant smell i go said mrs torrington there is often wisdom in flight replied the journalist but i do not think this is a case of bad drainage no more do i 
returned mrs torrington dropping her voice and becoming confidential of course we both perfectly understand what it all means there has been a row between mr and mrs tregonell and de cazalet has got his conge from the husband i should have introduced him to the outside of my house three weeks ago had i been the squire said fitzjesse but i believe the flirtation was harmless enough and i have a shrewd idea it was what the thieves call a put-up thing done on purpose to provoke the husband why should she want to provoke him ah why that is the mystery you know her better than i do and must be better able to understand her motives but i don't understand her in the least protested mrs torrington she is quite a different person this year from the woman i knew last year i thought her the most devoted wife and mother the house was not half so nice to stay at but it was ever so much more respectable i had arranged with my next people lodway court near bristol to be with them at the end of the week but i suppose the best thing we can all do is to go at once there is an air of general break-up in mr tregonell's hasty arrangements for an indian tour rather like the supper-party in macbeth is it not said fitzjesse except that her ladyship is not to the fore i call it altogether uncomfortable exclaimed mrs torrington pettishly how do i know that the lodway court people will be able to receive me i may be obliged to go to an hotel heaven avert such a catastrophe it would be very inconvenient with a maid and no end of luggage one is not prepared for that kind of thing when one starts on a round of visits for dopsy and mopsy there was no such agreeable prospect as a change of scene from one well-found country-house to another to be tumbled out of this lap of luxury meant a fall into the dreariness of south Belgravia and the king's road long monotonous arid streets with all the dust that had been ground under the feet of happy people in the london season blown about in dense clouds for the discomfiture of the outcast who must stay in town when the season is over sparse dinners coals measured by the scuttle smoky fires worn carpets flat beer and the whole gamut of existence equally flat stale and unprofitable dopsy and mopsy listened with doleful countenances to jack's talk about the big things he and his friend were going to do in bengal the tigers the wild pigs and wild peacocks they were going to slay why had not destiny made them young men that they too might prey upon their species and enjoy life at somebody else's expense i'll tell you what said their brother in the most cheerful manner of course you won't be staying here after i leave mrs tregonell will want to be alone when her husband goes you had better go with the squire and me as far as southampton he'll frank you we can all stop at the duke of cornwall to-morrow night and start for southampton by an early train next morning you can lunch with us at the dolphin see us off by steamer and go on to london afterwards that will be a ray of jollity to gild our last hour of happiness said mopsy oh how i loathe the idea of going back to those lodgings and pa the governor is a trial i must admit said jack but you see the european idea is that an ancient parent can't hang on hand too long there's no wheeling him down to the ganges and leaving him to settle his account with the birds and the fishes and even in india that kind of thing is getting out of date i wouldn't so much mind him said dopsy plaintively if his habits were more human but there are so many traits in his character especially his winter cough which remind one of the lower animals poor old patter sighed jack with a touch of feeling he was not often at home would you believe it that he was once almost a gentleman yes i remember an early period in my life when i was not ashamed to own him 
but when a fellow has been travelling steadily downhill for fifteen years his ultimate level must be uncommonly low true sighed mopsy we have always tried to rise superior to our surroundings but it has been a terrible struggle there have been summer evenings when that wretched slavey has been out with her young man that i have been sorely tempted to fetch the beer with my own hands there is a jug and bottle entrance at the place where we deal but i have suffered agonies of thirst rather than to so lower myself said dopsy with the complacence of conscious heroism right you are said jack who would sooner have fetched beer in the very eye of society than gone without it one must draw the line somewhere and to go from a paradise like this to such a den as that exclaimed dopsy still harping on the unloveliness of the pimlico lodging cheer up old girl i dare say mrs t will ask you again she's very good-natured she has behaved like an angel to us answered dopsy but i can't make her out there's a mystery somewhere there's always a skeleton in the cupboard don't you try to haul old boney out said the philosophical captain this was after luncheon when jack and his sisters had the billiard-room to themselves mr tregonell was in his study making things straight with his bailiff coachman butler in his usual business-like and decisive manner mr fitzjesse was packing his portmanteau meaning to sleep that night at penzance he was quite shrewd enough to be conscious of the tempest in the air and was not disposed to inflict himself upon his friends in the hour of trouble or to be bored by having to sympathize with them in their affliction he had studied mrs tregonell closely and he had made up his mind that conduct which was out of harmony with her character must needs be inspired by some powerful motive he had heard the account of her first engagement knew all about little fishkey and he had been told the particulars of her first lover's death it was not difficult for so astute an observer of human nature to make out the rest of the story little monty had been invited to go as far as southampton with the travellers the st aubins declared that home duties had long been demanding their attention and that they must positively leave next day mr faddie accepted an invitation to accompany them and spend a week at their fine old place on the other side of the county thus without any trouble on christabel's part her house was cleared for her when she came down to luncheon next day two or three hours after the departure of leonard and his party who were to spend that night at plymouth with some idea of an evening at the theatre on the part of mop and dop she had only the st aubyns and mr faddie to entertain even they were on the wing as the carriage which was to convey them to bodmin road station was ordered for three o'clock in the afternoon christabel's pale calm face showed no sign of the mental strain of the last twenty-four hours there was such a relief in having done with the false life which she had been dealing in the past month such an infinite comfort in being able to fall back into her old self such an unspeakable relief too in the sense of having saved herself on the very brink of the black gulf of sin that it was almost as if peace and gladness had returned to her soul once again she had sought for comfort at the one divine source of consolation once more she had dared to pray and this tardy resumption of the old sweet habit of girlhood seemed like a return to some dear home from which she had been long banished even those who knew so little of her real character were able to see the change in her countenance what a lovely expression mrs tregonell has to-day murmured mr faddie to his neighbour mrs st aubyn tenderly replenishing her hawk glass as a polite preliminary to filling his own so soft so madonna-like i suppose she is rather sorry for having driven away her husband said mrs st aubyn severely that has sobered her there are depths in the human soul which only the confessor can sound answered mr faddie 
who would not be betrayed into saying anything uncivil about his hostess would that she might be led to pour her griefs into an ear attuned to every note in the diapason of sorrow i don't approve of confession and i never shall bring myself to like it said mrs st aubyn sturdily it is un-english but your rubric dear lady surely you stand by your rubric if you mean the small print paragraphs in my prayer-book i never read em answered the squire's wife bluntly i hope i know my way through the church service without any help of that kind mr faddie sighed at this boeotian ignorance and went on with his luncheon it might be long before he partook of so gracious a meal a woman whose church views were so barbarous as those of mrs st aubyn might keep a table of primitive coarseness a squire westernish kind of fare might await him in the st aubyn mansion an hour later he pressed christabel's hand tenderly as he bade her good-bye a thousand thanks for your sweet hospitality he murmured gently this visit has been most precious to me it has been a privilege to be brought near the lives of those blessed martyrs st sergius and st bacchus to renew my acquaintance with dear st mertheriana whose life i only dimly remembered to kneel at the rustic shrines of st hulette and st piran it has been a period of mental growth the memory of which i shall ever value and then with a grave uplifting of two fingers and a blessing on the house mr faddie went off to his place beside clara st aubyn on the back seat of the landau which was to convey the departing guest to the bodmin road station a two hours drive through the brisk autumn air and thus like the shadowy figures in a dissolving view christabel's guests melted away and she and jessie bridgman stood alone in the grand old hall which had been of late so perverted from its old sober air and quiet domestic uses her first act as the carriage drove away was to fling one of the casements wide open open the other windows jessie she said impetuously all of them do you know that the wind is in the east i know that it is pure and sweet the breath of heaven blowing over hill and sea and that it is sweeping away the tainted atmosphere of the last month the poison of scandal and slang and cigarettes and billiard marker talk and all that is most unlovely in life oh jessie thank god you and i are alone together and the play is played out did you see your husband to-day before he left no why should we meet any more what can we two have to say to each other then he left his home without a word from you said jessie with a shade of wonder his home repeated christabel the home in which his poor mother thought it would be my lot to make his life good and happy if she could know but no thank god the dead are at peace no jessie he did not go without one word from me i wrote a few lines of farewell i told him i had prayed to my god for power to pity and forgive him and that pity and pardon had come to me i implored him to make his future life one long atonement for that fatal act last year i who had sinned so deeply had no right to take a high tone i spoke to him as a sinner to a sinner i hope he does repent that he will atone said miss bridgman gloomily his life is in his own keeping thank god that you and i are rid of him and can live the rest of our days in peace very quietly flows the stream of life at mount royal now that these feverish scenes have passed into the shadow of the days that are no more christabel devotes herself to the rearing of her boy lives for him thinks for him finds joy in his boyish pleasures grieves for his boyish griefs teaches him walks with him rides with him watches and nurses him in every childish illness 
and wonders that her life is so full of peace and sunshine the memory of a sorrowful past can never cease to be a part of her life all those scenes she loves best in this world the familiar places amidst which her quiet days are spent are haunted by one mournful shadow but she loves the hills and the seashore only the dearer for that spiritual presence which follows her in the noontide and the gloaming for ever reminding her amidst the simple joys of the life she knows of that unknown life where the veil shall be lifted and the lost shall be found major bree is her devoted friend and adviser idolizes the boy and just manages to prevent his manliness deteriorating under the pressure of womanly indulgence and womanly fears jessie has refused that faithful admirer a second time but christabel has an idea that he means to tempt his fate again and in the end must prevail by sheer force of goodness and fidelity kneeling by angus hamley's grave little leo hears from his mother's lips how the dead man loved him and bequeathed his fortune to him the mother endeavours to explain in simplest clearest words how the wealth so entrusted to him should be a sacred charge never to be turned to evil uses or squandered in self-indulgence you will try to do good when you are a man won't you leo she asks smiling down at the bright young face which shines like a sunbeam in its childish gladness yes he answers confidently i'll give uncle jake's tobacco this is his widest idea of benevolence at the present stage of his development end of chapter thirteen end of mount royal volume three by mary elizabeth braden recorded by celine major